Let's begin our time together by asking some questions. Are you happy, unhappy? Are you joyful or lacking in joy? Are you contented or discontented? And to answer those kind of questions, at times we just have to sit and reflect deeply. What is it that you and I really want in life, for life, for ourselves? Did you notice that before COVID-19, maybe an unspoken desire, an unspoken prayer, an unspoken thought Right, unrealized uh, ambition is that you wanted to work from home and uh, work from home to spend more time if you've got children and family or aged parents to spend more time with family. Guess what? This was our idea of our charm life. The dream job that allows you to work from home, the charm life, this has all come to pass, hasn't it? In an unprecedented way all around the world, not just in one nation, but in three quarters of the world. We now all work from home, WFH. And it's the dream job and the charm life. Is it truly? Somebody send this to us. Uh, because the kids are also home and there's no way to keep them under control, especially during the school holidays. Of course, this is, a, this is an invented picture, right? a made-up picture, adopted picture. But what is it that you really want in life? And stories told of six-year-old Elena. And six-year-old six Elena was diagnosed with brain cancer and with little time to live. So what do you think was her... What is it that she really wanted? This is what she really wanted. She went around hiding hundreds of little love notes where? Around the house, writing them, drawing them for her parents to find them after she had gone, after she had passed away. And this is just a sample of some things that she drew. And this is what a dying six-year-old really wants for the parents to treasure the memory of her. This one came about too. A dying dad. The dream of many of us as parents and children is to see our, our children get married, for fathers to walk them down the aisle, and the dying dad walks his 11-year-old daughter down the aisle to give her the lasting memory because he knew he wouldn't be around long enough for her wedding. Which leads us to ask in life, one more time as we started, what is it that you really want? What is it that you really want and I really want? You want to turn to people in your home as you listen to this and say, what is it that you really want? And that could be the first step up the stairway or ladder to really clearing up your heart and clearing up your marriage and clearing up your family life when you really settle with God. What is it you really want? So, more importantly is to ask, what is it that God really wants of us? The true, the living, and as we read God's Word, the Bible, He's not just the true and the living God as opposed to all the dead idols that we make with our imagination and speculation, but what we, what we know of this God from the Bible is that He's a holy God. So the, what does God really want from us? Before we can approach Him, before we can know Him and fellowship with Him and worship Him, He wants us, does He want us to be clean or unclean? The answer is quite obvious. And we get to the heart of this issue 
when we read the encounters of Jesus with two groups of people. Firstly, Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees and the scribes. So, then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. He goes on, For God himself commanded, Honour your father and your mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, as opposed to what God commanded, but you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honour his father. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. A few things to explain before we truly understand, for us to truly understand this. Let's go backwards. Firstly, whenever you read about Jesus encountering anyone from Jerusalem or in Jerusalem, it is always trouble for Jesus. Jesus is ministering in Galilee and he is heading towards Jerusalem, but this advanced party of Pharisees and scribes, the top religious leaders of Israel, came to check him out. Whether his teaching was bona fide, whether this rabbi, small town rabbi, was authentic or was he a heretic, was he blasphemous? And they have heard that Jesus and his disciples, they do not wash their hands when they eat. To be very clear, there was nothing in God's law that stipulated that they had to wash before they ate their meals. It was something that the Pharisees had taught up through time and wrote in human traditions. And it, in, these traditions were initially applied only for them, only for them. But through time, by the time Jesus appeared here, it was now supposed to be practiced, expected to be practiced by every Jewish family. And Jesus answered, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of tradition? There's, there's a difference between the pure word of God, the uncorrupted word of God, and our interpretation of it that puts a crust or puts a rust uh, layer on it that makes us miss the point. And he gives the example of what they were practicing then, this thing called the law of korban, or the practice of korban, K-O-R-B-A-N. And the practice of korban in his generation, in Jesus' generation, taught by the religious leaders was, if you have property and you pledge them to God by pledging them to the temple and the religious authorities, then you do not have to give on you do not have to give care and and succor to your parents you do not have to honor them in that way and jesus said you know you it looks really good that through this korban law you are pledging making an oath to god through the temple and the religious leaders but in your heart is actually to deny money and love and practical care and honour of your God-given parents. And so, the Pharisees with the Korban law, it looked like a pledge to God, but they actually kept it for self. And it was actually dishonouring of God in spirit. But Jesus' teaching was, what's at the heart of God's law in the Ten Commandments? 
to love God with all your heart and mind and soul, and to love your neighbour as yourself. And the first place in which you begin this is you love, you honour your parents. And so Jesus gets to the heart of this. There are very precious lessons for us at this point. And what are the precious lessons that we must not miss? We have to watch our hypocrisy because Jesus will call them hypocrites. Far from acknowledging their rank and their status and their authority, he calls them hypocrites. And the precious lessons is you and me could be law keepers, very, very pharisaic in keeping this law or that law, but we could be God-haters and dishonouring of our parents and unloving of our neighbours in our hearts. There's a difference between offering God nominal worship and true worship. There's a difference between going through the motions as they went through the temple, and for us as Christians, we go to church, we do Bible study, we are going through all the motions of Christianity, or may I say, could you and I be going through the motions of churchianity? Not a Christianity that follows Christ and follows God and honours God and glorifies God. We could go through the motions of our churchianity without any meaning. We could go through the routines without any relationship. So I've told this story quite a few times, right, that um, Mona, my wife, and uh, they were all celebrating the birthday or the anniversary of this uh, lady in her group. And they said, you're so blessed, you're so fortunate that your husband still remembers your anniversary or your birthday and he gives you presents. And she said, yes, he, he still gives me presents but he gave his heart to another woman, to his mistress, a long time ago. And she wasn't laughing or smiling at that point. Which tells you, you, you and me are very, very prone in our fallen nature, in our sinful hearts, to do what? To do the hypocritical thing, the nominal thing, with God and with others. When we can go through the motions, I'm, I'm here bodily, physically, but in my heart, in my spirit, I'm a million miles away from God. This is what God really hates of His people. So Jesus quotes a passage from Isaiah. And if we went back to read Isaiah, 66 chapters, for the first 39 chapters, the prophet Isaiah is sent by God to expose the moral decay, the spiritual corruption of His people. There in the body, physically, at the temple, offering sacrifices, but in the heart, in spirit, a million miles away from God. Is that you? Is that me? That on the surface, you could be ticking the boxes, ticking the boxes. I uh, attend services. I tune into this now. I can't attend services physically, but I tune into this. I read the Bible. I join. I zoom in with my Bible study group. I give to the offering. I pray with my children. But do you love God? Do you hate sin? Do you love God? Do you hate sin? And we'll come to that more. And so stories told, I heard this in a sermon about a, a widow and she had just had one son and after her husband passed away, the son really looked after her and there was a deep bonding. He got married, had his family and it was now mum's birthday and so he came. He came and gave mum a present, a present from the heart. She opened it and it was a beautiful dress but as the son saw 
the mother opened that present, that box, and lift up that dress, he could see that she was not totally delighting in this gift. And so he asked her, Mom, do you like it? And she said, I like it. And then he went and pursued that a little bit more. I don't think so, not from the way your body language and your tone of voice. I like it, son. I do like it. And then he went on, I don't think so. You know how it goes when you buy people presents and you're debating whether they truly like it. And then the mother said, come with me, come with me. And she took him to her bedroom, went to the wardrobe, her wardrobe, opened it up and said, son, I've got all these dresses and so many of them have been given by you. I don't want anything from you. I just want you. You and me could be giving presents to each other, but we are not giving heart, spirit, time of day, and total devotion to one another. And isn't it coincidental that here we are preaching to Matthew 15 about honouring parents, and it so happens to be the celebration of Mother's Day. So it's good to ask of ourselves, beginning with our mothers, how is it that God really wants us to love them and to honour them? And think in summary from God's Word in Scripture, when we are young as minors living under our parents, we are to obey them and the obedience is absolute. Then when we grow up, right, we are to honour our parents all the days of our life. And when our parents grow old, we are to look after them. As the true spirit of a law like Korban should have been directed, but it was actually to keep the assets for themselves and to divest themselves of honouring their parents and looking after them in old age. Lawkeeper, but God-hater. I hope that's not you. I hope and pray that's not me. If it is, there is always time to repent and to rethink. So that's the first encounter. What God wants according to Jesus, not what God wants according to the Pharisees and the scribes, which became the traditions of men, totally subjective, but missing the spirit of God's law. So Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? You see the issue here? Who is the most important person, the most dangerous person you have offended in your life? Many of us don't want to offend the police. We don't want to offend the authorities. We don't want to offend the government. We don't want to offend... Who's the, mo the most dangerous people to offend in Israel were the religious leaders. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, you know what you've done, just in case you didn't realise? The Pharisees and the scribes, they came from where? They came from the capital city. They came from Jerusalem. And you have just offended them. Offended them by what you said that it is you and your teaching that obeys God's command and it is their teaching that breaks God's command. You know you have offended them. Look at Jesus' reply. He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, 
explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? And so the disciples come and they're totally worried that Jesus has just offended the most powerful people in, in Jewish society. Jesus' reply is, I'm more concerned about offending God our Father. And in Jesus' understanding, the Pharisees and the scribes are not, have nothing to do with God, His heavenly Father. Though they carry the title, the rank, all their clothing makes them look like pious people, spiritual people, religious people. They have a reputation for this, but they are not planted by God. And this is the language of, if you've been following this series, the language of Matthew 13, the parable of the, the, parable of the weed, weeds and wheat, that God will allow good and evil, His people and those who are not His people, to grow side by side, you have to wait until the end. And surely now, this is at work. They can't tell who is the true teacher, who is the true prophet, who is bringing God's word. Is it this small town rabbi called Jesus, or is it the religious leaders from Israel? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a man, a person. For out of the heart comes what? Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What is it we know about Jesus? This is what we know. Jesus is the best doctor. He's the best physician. He's the best doctor and best physician who doesn't need any hardware to do x-rays, to do tests, because his ultimate test, his diagnosis is your real problem, your real disease, your real disease that is going to cripple you and kill you is this thing called your heart and my heart. Out of the heart comes all kinds of evil. So Jesus is our doctor. It is we, the sick, who need a doctor. And according to Jesus, this is not our problem in life. It's not a stomach problem. Our problem in life is not circumstantial. It's not what happens to us out there that changes us from outside in. It's what happens here in our heart. And the Greek word is cardia, from which we get all the English words, cardiologists, etc. And cardia is the headquarters of the person. Everything about you and me is summarised figuratively by the heart. The most used word of the human anatomy, summarising you and I. So do you, do you buy what Jesus says? Do you agree with him? That you and I are experiencing it's not circumstantial, it's not external. The pain and the problems, they come from within each of us and collectively all of us. So Jesus goes on to list some of our heart sins. This is how we break the Ten Commandments. Where? Not with laws out there, in our hearts. When you're sitting there in front of your computer, when you are with your gadget, this is how you break God's commandments. 
with evil thoughts, with murder, with adultery, with sexual immorality, with theft, with false witness and slander. And so let's explore each of them briefly. Evil thoughts is like the summary verse. Everything evil comes from inside before it is ever outside. Everything comes from the inside before it is ever external. So I say this again and again, you and me must never be surprised by big sins that happen in our life. You and I must never say, overnight, huh? I do not know what happened. No? Pastor Chris walked out on his marriage, his 33-year-old marriage to, 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 to Mona. If that was true, it didn't happen overnight. It's because I was contemplating it, I was percolating, allowing those thoughts to percolate in my heart. Nothing ever happens overnight. It, is, it happens here. The slow drip of sin and the slow drip of deception. Murder is the sixth commandment. This is the premeditating of the taking of another person's life. And we embark on murder because we think getting rid of that person in my life will make me contented, will make me happy, will satisfy my, my, my justice and satisfy my anger. And so we go into premeditated dismissal of someone in your life and my life. Is that you? Is that me? You're thinking those thoughts, but you haven't had the, the immoral courage to cross the line? Be very careful if you think that you'll be happier without someone in your life. Be very careful. Adultery, marital unfaithfulness, goes on. Sexual immorality, the word is pornea, and it covers the whole range of sex outside of marriage between one man, one woman, as in Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then theft is the breaking of the Eighth Commandment, taking what is not mine. And then slander is speech that tears down. These are all the ways in which we sin in our heart and break God's heart. So it's a heart-to-heart -heart matter. And this is a simple test. And what could be a simple test? A simple test is whatever is weighing on your heart, has nothing to do with the person of God, has nothing to do with the purposes of God, has nothing to do with the purity of God, that thing weighing upon your heart doesn't come from God and is displeasing to Him. That thing is most likely idolatrous. So think about it for yourself and myself. Which one do you suffer most? Psalm 66 verse 18 if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Again and again, repeatedly and clearly and firmly, loudly in God's Word in Scripture, it says that whenever we cherish sin and we rationalize sin and we defend our sin, there will always be a wall between God and us. So are you cherishing some sort of sin in your heart? which tells you, notice that cherish iniquity in my heart. Hearing of God is not a year activity. It's not something you do with your ears. Hearing is a heart activity. And so last night I was just listening to this lady speak at a conference. Her name was Rosario, uh, is Rosario Butterfield. 
and she came from a lesbian background, a champion of gay pride, and she was sharing about her conversion. And what was the thing that she cherished? She's an academic, she's an intellectual, a very clear thinker, a very good speaker, and worth listening to. And she said she cherished pride. In her case, gay pride. Justifying that, defending that. But some that she knew cherish the lust. They cherish the greed. They cherish the... What is it you cherish in your life? As long as you do sin and you try to reason it, you try to defend it, you try to, to do everything but confess and repent from it, there will always be a barrier between God and you. You will never be the child of God. So hearing Jesus speak into our lives is very, very important. Hearing is not a year activity, but a heart activity. So never ignore a teachable moment from God. A teachable moment from God. So we've said this. All of a sudden, you, dis you, you have just discovered three weeks of the circuit breaker, four weeks of being shut down, two months of being shut in around the world. You're discovering how easily frustrated you can become with your wife. How easily irritated you can become with your children. How easily judgmental you can become with your parents. And so, this pandemic, cabin fever, is the cause of our, of our irritation, the cause of our frustration, the cause of my judgmentalism, the cause of my superiority. No, we've said it. This cabin fever is not the cause. It is the occasion for it. The cause and the source of this frustration, irritation, anger, judgmentalism and unforgiveness in day-to-day -day living with each other is actually your heart and my heart that has no love for God and no love for the ones He designed us to love and graced us to love. So it's time to come clean with this. It's not circumstantial. It's our hearts. Notice what Jesus says of the religious teachers. Let them alone. They are blind guides. Calling them hypocrites, calling them blind guides was not a way to be on the right side of the Jewish religious leaders. So there's only one thing more dangerous than sin is our blindness to sin. How many of you, after this pandemic is over, COVID-19 is over, and life resumes to normalcy in some way, and you can now go for holidays, you can join a tour, and tour those places you want to tour before the next pandemic hits. How many of you want to join a tour where you discover, all of a sudden, as you join that tour, you land overseas, you get into the coach, and your tour guide is blind? And you might think to yourself, I didn't sign up for this. What does a, how is a blind tour guide going to take me around to see the sights? And that's an important thing that Jesus said. Not of the physically blind, but of the spiritually blind. Why follow those whose hearts are not for God? They just look good, but they do wrong in their life. So our spiritual problem, no, let me correct myself. Our spiritual suicide is when we belittle sin, we belittle our need for Jesus as our doctor and Jesus as our saviour. 
Then Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But she came and knelt before me, saying, Lord, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. What is at work here? What is it that we truly need to understand from this encounter recorded for us in Matthew chapter 15? Did you notice a few things? Jesus was now in Gentile territory. And in Gentile territory, a Canaanite woman, the Canaanites were fierce enemies, long-time enemies of Israel and the Israelites. So an enemy comes up to her and they had strict rules about encounters between Jews and Gentiles, strict rules between men and women relationships and social behaviour. And so a few things, a few borders and boundaries were now being knocked at in this encounter. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Whatever you do not know and I do not know about this Canaanite woman, she is practicing, she is expressing the goodness of poverty. Huh? What poverty? The goodness of spiritual poverty. And spiritual poverty before God and a person from God will always plead, have mercy on me. And so she's a great contrast to who? A great, a great contrast to the previous episode recorded for us, the Pharisees and the scribes who are in danger of their pride and prejudice, their pride and presumption that with all their Bible knowledge, with all their rank and their experience of ministry, they presumed that they were in the front of the queue and they were right with God. But a Canaanite and a Canaanite woman would not be even in the queue for the kingdom of heaven. And so she, in God's eyes, is actually experiencing and expressing the goodness of poverty. Have mercy on me, O Lord. What, does, what is it she knows about Jesus she obviously doesn't know everything about him, but she knows enough to call him son of David. And son of David, is, it's a promise that one of David's descendants will come and he would be the Messiah. He, the, the son of God would come and be enthroned as king and he would come from the line of David. And so, what's this whole bit about crumbs and dogs? Somehow she knew right, that the God of Israel 
the blessing that this Messiah will bring is not just for his people. Maybe the blessings he will bring will also be extended to non-Israelites, non-Jewish folk. And she's asking for the benevolence and the big-heartedness of Jesus if he is that person. And if that is true, then I think that is what Jesus commends. Because he says, yes, strictly speaking, I've been sent by God in my earthly ministry to reach out mainly to Israel with small encounters with Gentiles, but it will be the apostles that will bring the glorious gospel to the non-Jews. But you, Canaanite woman, have enough insight, have enough desperation to know that I'm sent from God, not just for Israel's good, but for the good of everyone, which includes you and includes your daughter, who is demon-possessed. She calls out to him out of a personal desperation. And here is the important thing. It goes on. And the count moves on very quickly before we draw our final lessons. He went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and where he was was still mainly Gentile area. And he went up on the mountain, sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, so that they put them at his feet. And what does Jesus do in response to all these desperate human needs, sickness and diseases? He healed them. So that the crowd wondered, when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. You know, all that has echoes from the prophet Isaiah in the book of Isaiah, that when the Messiah comes, the mute will speak, the crippled will be healthy, the lame will walk, the blind will see, and they thought it was only for one nation. But now, the invitation is for all nations, as Jesus is displaying. But I wanted to show you this before we draw our final lessons together. Jesus then goes on and he calls his disciples to him and said, he performs a miracle of feeding, which he had performed and it was recorded. He performed the miracle of, of feeding among the, the fellow Jews, inviting them to the banquet, the messianic banquet, the final banquet when God makes friends with his enemies. But now, Jesus is inviting Gentiles to this banquet. And the key word we mustn't miss, I have compassion on the crowd. And it was a mainly non-Jewish crowd, the unthinkable crowd, the unimaginable, the unexpected crowd who have been invited to God's kingdom because they have been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. Very mighty lessons, seen personally and individually in the Canaanite women calling out for help and seen in Jesus feeding the 4,000 men and women and children above and beyond. When our desperate need meets Jesus' compassion, we have God's salvation. And this is what God wants of us in sending Jesus into the world. But what's an alternative response to this? When we have no desperate need, 
when we have no spiritual poverty, when you and I think that I'm okay in my life and I live quite a moral life and I'm okay with God, then we meet not salvation, we meet damnation. When we walk around with our pride and our prejudice and we reject God's final offer of forgiving love, God's final offer of game-changing compassion, it leads us on the path of eternity without God, which is called damnation. So as we end our time listening to God and His Word, which path are you on? So stories told of this girl. When she was in primary six, a teacher came and asked her to pack her bags. And she packed her bags quickly and went downstairs and saw her auntie waiting for her. And she saw her auntie was crying. So she knew something was wrong. And then she discovered that her mum had gotten into an accident. And so they drove very quickly to Alexandra Hospital and she, the six-year-old girl, could see the staff trying to revive her mother. In those days, they used trolley curtains, trolley curtains, so she could see everything. She could see her mum's bruised body. She was bloody. And this young girl couldn't recognise her mum. Very sadly and tragically, her mum died from that accident. Her life spun out of control. She was a bright student with a bright future. And so I read, she was a prefect, but because of this, her life spun downhill. She started to mix with bad company. I was a prefect. I picked up smoking. I sneaked into discos. I was rebellious. I was trying to form my own identity. And I was clearly not an easy teenager to bring up. I was ambitious, I was strong-headed, I liked to do things on my own. Her dad remarried and remarried. And she didn't blame her dad for that. And then things got so tense at home that at 16 years old, she moved out. She moved out and she had no one to bunk with, so she could only spend time studying at the airport, Changi Airport. And at Changi Airport, she remembers a man, a Malay man, a cleaner, who was very kind to her when she was a JC student. And this security, uh, not cleaner, the security guard, he would always look out for me and make sure I was not disturbed in my corner. I don't know his name, but I would recognize him. I hope to track him down. I hope he reads this article. And so from that, from that game-changing compassion where she was given a place to study, a place to sleep overnight, she started to rebuild her life. And she started to give tuition. She started to sell plastic flowers. And she got into medicine at NUS. And she graduated and she specialised. And then she's now a breast surgeon. She married her husband, who is also a surgeon. They started a surgery and this surgical group now has five outlets in Singapore, one in Cambodia, one in China. She has not forgotten the hard times. And what was the turning point in her life? The game-changing compassion 
of a security guard that saw that someone was in desperate need. You macro that and you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our desperate need meets the compassion of Jesus. It's a game-changing compassion. When was the last time, when was the last time, if ever, you fell on your knees and said, have mercy on me, O God? Until and unless you have come to that position, notice that was not just the posture of her heart. She came, this Canaanite woman, and knelt before the Lord Jesus. And so, the closing song we're going to sing is All I Have is Christ. All I Have is Christ. What is it you really want in life? It's more important to ask, what is it that God really wants? God really wants you and me not to be clean or unclean, but to be cleaned up by His Son. Because left to ourselves, we cannot clean ourselves up enough, good enough to be accepted by God. But by the death of the Lord Jesus, by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, we are cleaned up once and for all. Never to cherish sin, never to explain it away, but to confess and to find new life in Christ. All I want is Christ. Let us turn to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the precious gift of Jesus Christ. May we all confess honestly, sincerely and humbly. Each of us are so prone to live our lives and our hell-bent life away from you, rebellious, proud, thinking that we are all right, thinking that we don't have to own up to our desperate situation. But you, in your patience, you, in your mercy, you, in your grace, you, in your unchanging love, have broken into our hearts and our lives by offering us your Son. To him we turn and acknowledge, all I have is Christ. I'm sick and I need a doctor. Have mercy on me, O God. And all I want from this point onwards, is Christ. No longer to cherish sin, to defend it, to explain it, but to own up that I may be embraced by my Saviour. Please hear my cry, hear our cries, and make us a living witness of your grand salvation for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us in our service. Continue to connect with us because we are on all the social media platforms. If you have a prayer to share with us, please let us know. And so you can con contact us in all those different ways. I'll be more, more than happy. So we are there with our devotions day by day. We are there on social media with our mental wellness podcasts and the different ministries the leaders are reaching out. So the Lord bless you and keep you till we meet again, hearing God's word. Amen.